0: ADHD medication in and of itself is not addictive. Can people get addicted to it? Yes. Is it likely for somebody with ADHD to become addicted to their medication? Probably not. And taking your ADHD medication every single day doesn't make you an addict, doesn't make you addicted to your medication. You're using it for the right purpose.
1: Hello and welcome to the Women in ADHD podcast. I'm your host Katie Weber. Before we get started I'd like to share this review from Vicki with a V from Apple Podcasts in the UK. Vicky writes thank you so very much Katie for all your effort in these podcasts. I'm always excited to listen to the next one. As someone who has recently finally been diagnosed in my thirties, it's absolutely beautiful to be able to hear voices from a community that I wish I had known about a long time ago and one that I absolutely belong to. Thank you so much Vicky with a V and yes, I completely share that sense of finally belonging and feeling understood and often wonder about all the ways in which my life would have been different had I known about this earlier. I think that's really common. So thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so glad these stories are resonating with you. On that note, I'm excited to introduce episode 25 in which I interview the brilliant and glittery Liz Cordero. I approached liz after reading one of her blog posts i think it was the one on disordered eating and adhd because that sounds like me but frankly there are so many incredibly thoughtful and well-researched posts on her blog that i can't even remember which one led me to her they're so good i really recommend you check her out liz was diagnosed with combined type adhd in 2020 Following her diagnosis, she started her Glitter Brain blog in which she shares her journey, her stories, her tips, educational information about ADHD and related conditions. She currently lives in Northern Virginia and when she's not blogging, she enjoys spending time with her husband and dog and cooking and running. We talk about the chronic struggles with negative self-talk and the pendulum of mood swings as well as the long and winding road to a diagnosis and sobriety. And as a disclaimer, we are not medical professionals. We're simply discussing our personal experiences and opinions. So please always consult your doctor when it comes to medical advice and medications. Okay, I hope you love this one as much as I did. Enjoy. So thank you, Liz, for joining me and and thank, thank you, you for having me. I'm very excited. Very excited. I uh, I think, you know, one thing that really appealed to me when I first reached out to you was you are one of those women with ADHD who like, as soon as you were diagnosed, you're like, I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to start Twitter. And I'm going to, <laughs> that was like exactly what I did when I was diagnosed. It was just like, this is my hyper focus. And I'm going to, I'm going to start doing all this stuff around it because I found it, find it endlessly fascinating. Yes.
0: It took me a couple months. Um, it, it wasn't like right away. It took me about three months after my diagnosis to really become obsessed, but yes, I would call it an obsession at the moment.
1: All right. So let's, uh, so why don't you walk me through it? You were a 2020 diagnosis, which I call pandemic diagnoses or lockdown mm-hmm. diagnoses. Um, so when were you diagnosed and kind of what led up to you being convinced that you had ADHD and, and getting that yeah. diagnosis?
0: Um, and you don't mind if I have like a little story here, I actually, um,
1: Oh, pff. Of course not. I know we all do. That's why I always ask.
0: (laughs) So I was diagnosed on September 4th or no, September 3rd, 2020, probably a day I'll never forget. Um, And it actually took a long, long time to get there. And not just because I was diagnosed at 32, which is considered a late diagnosis, but because I feel like my journey to diagnosis, it really started in college Um, I don't think it's something that when I was in middle school and high school, I think I really flew under the radar because not to be like, I'm so smart, um, but I'm smart enough to get by on intelligence and talent and not work or practice or anything like that, which is really important stuff. So I think I kind of, you know, I got by on B's and C's in school mostly and, I think that I wasn't like a troublemaker. I was in some ways, but not in the traditional ADHD ways. I was super talkative and really energetic and kind of floating from thing to thing to thing. And people would just say, you know, Liz just needs to learn to control herself a little better and she'll be super successful and so much potential, so much talent, so much energy, but no self-control. And it, it became a, Character flaw. It was just like my personality. So it took a long time. Um, but my first journey, my first, maybe not journey is the right word, but my first moment with medication actually started in college. Um, I started a semester at a brand new school. I changed colleges multiple times, which is probably pretty common with ADHDers. Mm-hmm. And when I started, you know how at the beginning of class they'll ask you, everyone go around and say something about yourself. I like hate this. I dread it. I never know what to say. And so I started to get this weird panic when it came to be my turn and I'd start shaking a little bit. And I get this funny thing where it's like, I can't really move my head back and forth naturally. It's like, it starts like, uh, uh," like my muscles kind of freak out and they, they start like like twitching, it's like a, like a muscle twitch, it's so weird. And I thought this was the strangest thing. So um, I don't know why I was like, I'm gonna go see a psychiatrist about this. I don't know where that came from. So she diagnosed me based on this with social anxiety disorder. Um, and she basically said, you have a horrible seem to have a horrible fear of public speaking, I think it's social anxiety. Let's try some anti-anxiety medication. I started to see her regularly. She was actually really sweet. I loved her. She's a great doctor. She was very wrong. I do not have social anxiety disorder. Um, uh, I uh Pristique. I remember the name of the medication was Pristique. I don't actually know what that is.
1: I'm just curious because I I was on so many different types of <laughs> antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds and and so I'm just curious. But.
0: Yeah, and I can never get them straight, like the <laughs> NAORs and which I call <laughs> easy.
1: I So I'm like, what it. part of the brain are you targeting? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I have no <laughs> clue.
0: Um, so so she tried anti-anxiety, and it, it, I don't remember if it worked with anything. I don't remember what it did. It was so long ago, but it clearly wasn't making a significant enough change to keep up with it. So I just, I stopped, I stopped taking the meds. I stopped seeing her. I stopped really thinking about it. I just decided I have a thing. I'll live my life. Who cares? I'm not going to deal with it. Um, So that was like 2011 ish. So fast forward a lot of years to 2018, uh, Memorial day, we had a house fire and it was I was actually writing about this earlier and I wrote, we had a traumatic house fire. And then I, a second later thought, is there such a thing as a (laughs) non-traumatic house fire? Like, no, (laughs) all house fires are traumatic in some way. Um, so it was, it was significant enough that we, we had to vacate. Um, they had to rebuild our house. So, uh, yeah, so it was pretty bad. And, After about two months after it happened, I was really, really stressed out, really anxious, experiencing a lot of trauma symptoms, a lot of PTSD symptoms. It was really stressful. So I decided to start seeing a therapist. Um, I'm still seeing her. She's wonderful. I love her. Um, But pretty much after a month of seeing her, she started to bring up ADHD with me no one had ever said to me before. I didn't even know anything about it. No one had ever suggested it. I was not interested in hearing it at the time. I did not care for it. I didn't want to be labeled with anything. I didn't want to be on medication. I just wanted to see her for a few months, get over my trauma, move on with my life. Okay, obviously that did not happen (laughs) because she persisted, which I appreciate. And about a year after seeing her, I decided, all right, I'm going to try medication again for my social anxiety, which I was going to
1: do. Well, now I just want to interject when she started suggesting, um, ADHD to you, what were, what were the indicators to her? Was it just the stress of the fire or was it sort of your inability to juggle things? Or I'm curious, kind of what were the indicators for her? Do you know? Um, I've
0: never actually really gone back and asked her what ticked her off to that. Probably my difficulty with um, my negative self-image. Mm, um,
1: yeah. Okay. I, I mean, at
0: the time, very hard on myself, always saying, why am I not doing more? Why am I not achieving more? Why am I not more accomplished? Definitely had a lot of that. I was late for like every appointment, <laughs> just mm-hmm. constantly late. No concept of how much time was passing during our appointment. I really struggled with time. Um, I struggled with organization. At the time when I was seeing her, I was really deeply obsessed with using a bullet journal, which I thought was going to just somehow cure all of my disorganization. And she could see that I was overly obsessed with it. I was really hyper fixating on a bullet journal as this magical cure all. So probably that, and just I'm sure she picked up on other behavioral cues. And stories from childhood. Okay. Cry. I mean, I still cry. Not so bad now. But back then, I mean, everything made me cry. I was emotionally so sensitive. Like, I would just cry at the drop of a hat. So
1: yeah, now that you mentioned it, because I had a similar experience where it, my therapist Talked to me for about two years about, and she actually has ADHD, and and so she had been bringing it up a lot. Just a lot of that in terms of the kind of pendulum of my hyperfixating on certain things and then getting like deeply sort of depressed and stagnant and despondent. And and but I remember it actually now that you say that she used to get so frustrated because she was like, how can somebody who's so clearly bright and and doing all of these things, how do, like how can you look at yourself so poorly? Like how can you have such negative self-image? <laughs> and I forgot that that was one of those things that really frustrated her. Okay, anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I think my therapist probably was, and she still is the same way because we still, um, I think I have less of a problem with it now since my diagnosis, but negative self-talk, Anytime we're in a session, if I turn to anything uh, inwardly negatively and she'll stop me and say, you know, what have we talked about here? You are a wonderful person and your friends and family love you and you do a great job at your job at work. And why do you think so harshly of yourself? No one else judges you like this. No one judges yeah. me like I judge me.
1: Absolutely. And it feels like no matter how many times you hear it from other people, it's like it doesn't register. <laughs> oh, like it totally. doesn't like imprint, you know?
0: It has to come from within. It can't be something that someone else teaches you. You have to want to be more positive about yourself. But it's really hard. It, it ta- it's taken me years.
1: It has with me too. But I would say that the biggest most sort of revolutionary change in my life since my diagnosis has been precisely that. It's it's how I talk to myself and how I view myself. And I kind of feel like I have something to offer now, whereas, you know, for whatever myriad reasons, I just always sort of felt like I led with I'm a failure. <laughs> that was kind of my narrative. And I feel like that has completely done in 180 since the diagnosis, which just makes me sometimes feel like the world is my oyster and I'm like so excited to do things now because I'm like, wow, yeah, like I, yeah, I, I always hesitate to use the term superpower because I feel like it can be problematic and kind of brush over a lot of the grief and, and, and issues that are in the disorder. But I also sort of feel like for the first time in my life, like I actually feel like um, just, you know, good about myself. <laughs> in in that fundamental way that always sort of was missing with all of this the other stuff over the years
0: I mean I could have been talking the past couple minutes because that is exactly what I have gone through it's the same thing it's it's like I finally can explain to myself why I am the way I am and it's okay to be the way I am it's finally okay I don't mind that I'm late sometimes and I'm kind of disorganized and I'm a little bit of a slob occasionally. And I just, these things don't matter. And I mean, to be fair, disclosure, I am on medication for it. So like a lot of the really, really bad, bad, bad stuff, it is being helped along by that. But medication is not a perfect cure. I still struggle despite it. So, but it's amazing that now I can struggle and say, I'm having an ADHD heavy day. It's just the ADHD is strong with me today and that's fine. Amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, even in some of the more like typically shame filled issues, like even like hygiene, you know, hygiene is one of those things that I feel like so many of us struggled with the struggle internally. Like we're so very, like, there was so much shame around it. And I feel like that was just, I, I remember I was reminded of that because you brought up showering recently on Twitter (laughs) and then. And, um, it was really fascinating actually, like, uh, let's go on a shower tangent for a moment, because I was like, you had brought up the idea of showering and then somebody said, it's the transition, right? And I was like, I had that same moment you did, which was like, oh my God, I think that might be it, right? Like it's the dry skin to wet skin transition. It's the standing to, it's the clothed to naked. It's like, you know, it's like so many different transitions that are really uncomfortable. And I was like, oh my God, it's totally another sensory issue. And um, so it's been like, you can have that sense of like inquisitiveness without the judgment anymore. And I think people with ADHD are just like, we're so naturally inquisitive anyway. And I, it's what I love about having these conversations. It's like, you can say like, I love water, but somebody with ADHD will be like, why, why do I love water? What is it that has made me love this? Water? What is it about water? You know, it's like we're just like, you want to like deconstruct everything. But um, yeah, anyway, going back to what we were saying before, like it's, you know, that just things don't seem shame laden the way they used to.
0: Absolutely. There's just my shame. Okay. My shame has not disappeared. I still do (laughs) feel shame. I'm, you know, I have humility. I have shame. Um, but it's, I'm much less ashamed of myself. I am able to neutralize it. Sometimes I, oftentimes I can make it positive, but sometimes it's just neutral. It's, I'm not lazy. It becomes, I'm very tired and I needed a break and that's it. And Mm -hmm. it's so nice. I love it. I want it for everybody.
1: That's a sweet sentiment. I love that.
0: But honestly, like that's part of the reason for the blog is that I want everyone to know I feel really great right now because I finally know. It's like I've unlocked this big, amazing secret about myself that nobody knew. And now I want everyone to know. And I want everyone who has the same secret within them to discover it. And I want everyone to experience that like deep sigh of relief that I have felt finally. That I, and okay, it's like the title of a book, but I'm not like lazy, stupid, or crazy. It's.
1: I know that really is the most brilliant title of an ADHD book ever.
0: <laughs> yes, I actually have not read, that, read book? that one, but I, I like the title.
1: I have a funny story behind that book because I absolutely meant to read that book, but I pretty much listen to books now. I mean, I will listen to 20 books in the time that it takes me to read one book. And so like when I was first diagnosed, I was like binge, you know, just like when you whenever you get first diagnosed with ADHD, I was like binge listening to podcasts and going online and joining every Facebook group and following everybody I could on Twitter and um and so I found that book and I went on to audiobook to uh or Audible to get it and there was only the abridged version and I stopped because I was like I don't want the abridged version of anything. I was like, I need all of it. I can't, I can't only listen to the abridged version. Like I don't, I need to know that I've gotten all the information, even if I listen to it on twice the speed. Uh, but I was just like, sort of hit that wall of like, I don't want the abridged version. And then I kind of forgot about it and moved on and, and listened to something else. Um, but every time that book is brought up, it's re- it reminds me of that story where I was like, if you're out there, Publishers, if you're out there, do not give abridged versions of ADHD books. It's like antithetical. (laughs) Um, But I also want like short point form versions of things. Like It's like crib notes or the whole book. Nothing in between. It's a very like subtle art of understanding what it is we need.
0: I agree with you, though. We need all the information. I know, right?
1: I know. I was trying to figure that out because I was like, I do feel like we like crib notes and we like really small snippets of information so why would I not want the crib like why would I want not want an abridged version of a book and it was like because then I like it's like I know that there's more book out there that I didn't get it, it interferes with my hyper focus
0: <laughs> you're just being cheated when you don't get the full book
1: I know right <laughs> um all right so your therapist finally got through to you and and then what happened yep
0: Um, so at her, so she's not, she works at a practice, um, it's like a counseling practice. And so she recommended one of the psychiatrists in the practice. So I went to see her and first session with her, she diagnosed me with bipolar two. Um, which at the time I was like, there's more than one bipolar disorder. Interesting. Didn't know. (laughs) And I just went with it because it felt right. Um, So something that I haven't revealed until this point in the interview, podcast chat conversation, (laughs) chat, let's call it a chat, um, is that I also am an alcoholic. Mm. Um, It's, you know, I don't know if I love that label, um, I mean, I am. I think I truly am. I just wish there, I just don't love how alcoholic sounds rolling off the tongue. It's I want something different. I'm still working on that one. Um, but I'm an alcoholic. And at the time when I went to see the psychiatrist, I was in a cycle that looks like bipolar, too, where I would have. Let's start with a few days of like normalcy, and I'd be kind of content. And, you know, not like everything was easy because I have ADHD, so it was tough, but I felt okay. And then something would happen, and I'd get in a really good mood, and I'd be super excited, which I now know is hyperactivity. And I'd be hyperactive, and I would go drink. And this would last a couple days, and I'd drink and be super excited and say, I'm on top of the world. I can do this. I can do whatever I put my mind to. And I turned to alcohol, my best friend, alcohol. And then I would get depressed for a few days because of the alcohol. But at the time, what was diagnosed as bipolar 2. And bipolar 2 is, unlike bipolar 1, it's very cyclical. You go through hypomania, depression, normal state hypomania, depression, normal state. And you swing, and it's not always in that order, but you swing back and forth constantly between these two, these, three states.
1: And just to interrupt, I think that that, I see, I didn't know there were two types of bipolar either. And I often... Thought I might be simply because of the pendulum analogy, right? Like I really related to bipolar just in the fact that I felt like I was constantly on a pendulum of productivity and hyper focus and, and, and therefore like elated, you know, and happy, and then would swing into like the deep, deep depression, um, That and so I sort of because of that those two states that I felt like I was always in one or the other I always wondered if I was bipolar it was never brought up by my therapist but it's interesting because I'm I'm learning more and more how many people are actually diagnosed with this so I didn't even know there were the two types.
0: Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's I don't think bipolar two is as common as bipolar one. As far as bipolar diagnoses goes, I I think from my understanding, it is a less common disorder, Um, but it does frequently get misdiagnosed. That especially women with ADHD very, very frequently get diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, as well as borderline personality disorder. So there's quite a few comorbidities between them. Um, there's a lot of manifestations in common between those disorders. So misdiagnosis happens at very high rates among those mm. three. Um, so I'm not surprised that I was misdiagnosed. When I first found out, I was I was a little angry because I thought it's a she's a psychiatrist. She should know better. But I've come to. I've let go of all my anger about well, not all the anger, a little mostly, mostly let go of the anger. Um, but I, I get it; I totally get it. And the alcohol was not helping. The alcohol was masking some of my difficulties. So, um, so I saw her for a while, and she actually, funny enough, put me on um, what's called Abilify, which is classified as an antipsychotic slash mood stabilizer. I'm still on it today, actually. Funny enough. Um, So she put me on that and it's actually very helpful for my emotional regulation. Um, The dose she had me on was too high. Uh, It had some negative side effects, but I'm still taking it today, which is, I really love it, but I didn't like her. I kind of just hated her as a person. (laughs) I didn't, I thought she was brusque. I thought, Every time I saw her, she acted like she'd never seen me before. She was like, So tell me about yourself every time. It really bothered me. I was like, well, why don't you know who I am? Look at your notes. So I wasn't happy. So I left her, and then I saw a new doctor who was said, you are absolutely do not have bipolar two disorder, but refused to diagnose me with anything else. He just would not tell me what I what he thought that I had but he put me on anti-anxiety and antidepressant medication and that this is um, almost a year ago. And so I'm assuming he thought I was depressed and anxious. And that was the worst three months that I've had in a very long time. And not just because of the COVID pandemic, but because he put me on medication that made me so depressed and so miserable I have never in my life been so low and it was horrible because I would come into my appointments and say, you know, I don't feel good. I feel really terrible. And he would just up the dosage and say, well, let's just try more. Maybe we're not at the right dosage. And it was never maybe this medication is wrong. (laughs) So it was really frustrating. And luckily, my therapist is wonderful and very observant. And she could tell how low I was. And, and I, I'm not shy. I don't tell anybody anything. Um, so we talked it through, and she said, You know, I'd really like you to start seeing somebody else for your medication. And she had me come see a nurse practitioner. And the nurse practitioner, who I'm still with, lovely woman, love her, she was the one who finally said, Why don't you get a comprehensive psychological evaluation and let's pinpoint what is really going on? Because she said, I can clearly tell that there are some issues. You've got some stuff happening. I can't diagnose you and I don't think you've been properly diagnosed. Let's get you fully evaluated by someone that I know and trust and let's see what comes of it. So I really appreciate that she just said that because I didn't know that comprehensive psychological evaluations were a thing. I thought that you just went to a psychiatrist, you met them for a little bit, they diagnosed you and that's what you have.
1: That's a good point. I I feel like I did luck out because my primary care provider is a nurse practitioner, but she also specializes in psychiatric Disorder. I don't, I know that's not what the word is, but I'm not sure. It's psychiatric something. So she actually was able to give me the um, separate evaluation and she's also able to prescribe. So it sort of feels like it's nice that it's all the same person because I love her and trust her. And and didn't have to do that extra step, which I feel like is difficult for anyone with ADHD to go through all of these steps of, of advocation and self-care and just getting this, you know, getting to the point where you even make the appointment is such a, such a hurdle.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I am really lucky that it only took me a little over a year. Okay. When you think about it, it took me over 10 years (laughs) because misdiagnosed in college. When I started the second time, I'm glad that it it only took a little over a year to get the right diagnosis. I mean, some people go through multiple diagnosis situations, so, especially women can for 10 years be told, you have this, you have this, you have this, you have this, and none of it turns out to be right. And finally, the wise doctor comes along and says, well, you have ADHD. And that literally explains everything happening.
1: I know it's... Uh... It really, I mean, I, um, I'm, I'm going through this post right now. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm basically writing the seven stages of an ADHD diagnosis for like late diagnosis. And it was, you know, basically that like rush of, of realization. And it feels like we all sort of have that same experience of just like, um, you know, feeling like so elated because, suddenly everything in your life makes sense. And then you sort of go through the grief uh, and the resentment, like how did the signs were there? How did nobody see this? Um, and then also just like finding community and finding the acceptance. And, and then like advocacy is the last one where you're just like, people need to know, cause I know a lot of people who have this and don't realize they have this and I don't want people to suffer like I suffered. And so like that, that advocacy, um, uh, which obviously I see with you and your blog and and what you're doing out there. Raise your hand if you're really good with your diet for a few days or weeks, but you always end up sabotaging your own efforts. Or you fear having certain foods in the house because you feel like you lack the self-control to avoid them when they're there or you feel like everyone but you has this whole eating and exercise thing figured out and you just wanna scream, what is wrong with me? Well, guess what? You are not alone. In my book, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, I share with you my own history with yo-yo dieting and binge eating from my very first diet at the age of 14 to the nearly 30 years I spent on a merry-go-round of weight loss and weight regain. I also share with you the six essential steps that helped me to finally break free from diet culture and rediscover my health and my self-worth. If you are ready to break free from dieting and binge eating cycle for good, and heal your relationship with food and your body, head to worthitwithkatie.com to get your copy of my Worth It book today. Uh, So just to backtrack a little bit, you had mentioned that you didn't do poorly in school, but what what are some things looking back growing up where you're, where you look back now and you're like, Oh my God, of course that was ADHD.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I I think I, I think with school, if I would known I had ADHD and I was on medication and I had the right building opportunities and probably I would have done well with an ADHD coach I probably could have been an A student in a lot of my classes and I was consistent consistently B's and C's and the occasional D in math and science because I didn't have that opportunity and I think what my teachers missed because I could cover it up was that I always did my assignments last minute Everything was last minute. Never could I plan ahead. I couldn't sit down and say, this is due in a week. How about I work on it for 15 minutes every day? It was, oh my God, this is due tomorrow. I have to finish it. I have two hours until bedtime and it's an eight page essay. Whoops. But I was so good. It just like, I was a good bullshitter. Yeah. I could spew bullshit in any essay on anything. I'm so good at that. And I think I'm an okay writer. So I could pass for having done the work because it looked like I put effort into it when I was struggling to do all of my assignments the night before. But obviously on things like science where it's not subjective, it is literally there's a right and a wrong answer and math, same thing, I would get in trouble and I would get my worst grades because I couldn't fake my way through it. I couldn't pretend like I knew what I was doing as opposed to history in English, where I think it's a little easier sometimes to fake it till you make it and to kind of throw things out there that's semi-correct and it's right enough that I'll give you a B.
1: Yeah. I think procrastination has a, a real practical purpose, too, for the ADHD brain. And I think I was lucky enough to realize this long ago because I was a journalist and I was writing on deadline. And I figured, you know, and so I was like, procrastination was kind of, inev- you know, you you only had you had these tight deadlines and you had a very short period of time to work within those deadlines. And I just like thrived. I was so like, my thoughts were clear. I got to the point, you know, I did what I needed to do. And so I realized through that process, how, you know, why we procrastinate because there's a, that is how you sort of can get everything on the page. It's just sort of like floating around your thinking and, and, and like taking notes and amassing stuff over, over time. But in order to actually have the, to, in order to actually get it on the page, you need that urgency, the kind of, that will then like get it there without overthinking it. And so it was, I was like, oh, that's actually my, my whole process. Like It it makes sense to me. I'm like, I'm not actually procrastinating. I'm just doing the work up here in my head. Um, And then the very last step is that like squeeze at the end of getting it on the page. I mean, there is a lot of bullshitting in English and history. I Believe me, <laughs> I was a political theory major and it was like, that's all it was, was like, I'm bright. I get concepts really easily. I can kind of make connections really easily. And so uh, I think that was why I was drawn to that major. I mean, I ended up majoring in communications. Right. <laughs> like,
0: come on. Um, but I actually studied political science for a couple semesters.
1: Yeah. yeah. I was really into it. Right. Well, I think I would have been a philosophy major if I didn't feel like philosophy was so flaky and I felt like political theory was basically philosophy, but it like sounded, sounded smarter.
0: Oh, I was totally convinced that I should go to law school and people would tell me, you just love to argue. You'd be great in law school. I would have been terrible in law school. I'm so glad I did not do that because it is so much studying and so much focus and a big part of being a lawyer is being able to dredge facts and informations up on a moment's notice, to be able to remember everything that you've read. I mean, it's reading an eight hundred page book and remembering that book. I can't do that. So I'm That's a great point down that path. I would have dropped out of law school after
1: a semester. <laughs> um so but you said it kind of all fell apart in college. What do you? In terms, Was that in terms of grades, or was it socializing, or was it addiction, or all of the above?
0: A little bit of everything. Um, so I was actually reading about this for one of my uh, blog posts is about routines. And I was doing a lot of research on structure and routine, and I'm still irritated because I don't have all the information on it. But I'm trying to better understand why structure is so great for a lot, not everyone, a lot of people with ADHD. And I I did, I kept Googling it in like every way I could think, like all these different combinations of words and questions. And every article I found, every blog post, every article, every resource said the same thing. Structure and routines are really important for people with ADHD. And then here's how you do it. And I'm like,
1: but why? Uh, It's like, it's like the uh, water, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly. I I always have to do the, but why? Still don't quite have an answer. Um, I have some theories on it, but I was reading somewhere recently that I thought was interesting about why ADHD tends to start presenting in middle and high school for a lot of people. And it's because, When you start in kindergarten and elementary school, there's a lot of structure. Your day is really structured, lots of routine. You're told where to be, when to be there, what to do. And the older you get, like going through middle and high school and college, the, the less structure there is given to you and the more you have to create for yourself. So you have to create your own schedule. You have to make time for homework. You have to decide that you're gonna go to class. You have to decide that you're gonna study. You have to turn in the test on time. And I could not create structure for myself. I had no concept of it. And I just didn't, I didn't know this was a problem. So college has no structure given to you. You make it all by yourself. You don't even live with your parents anymore if you're lucky like I was
1: Um, nobody's getting you up in the morning yeah that's such a great point
0: yep so I always love telling people this I think it's kind of a silly story um I failed psychology 101 twice took me three tries to pass that class um but I failed it the first time because the first day of class it was my first semester um and I was in a new state new school new friends new everything I was so excited. And then I got lost on campus. I couldn't find the building where the class was. And after a while, I just gave up. And I was so frustrated. And then I never showed up for that class because on the first day I couldn't find the building. And I was so mad about it that I just couldn't go. So I never went and I failed. And then I enrolled again. And this time I found the class, I made it, but I didn't study. I thought, this is all common sense. I can just do psychology. I'll just pass this. I didn't. And that was a pretty, I mean, I didn't fail every class in college. I passed a, enough to get a degree, but that was a pretty common occurrence for me was I can just get by I don't have to study that hard. It's common sense. I'll just figure it out. I'm sure I can pick the right answer. And I didn't really create structure for myself to study and to have time to focus and care about schoolwork. It just, I thought I could just party and have fun and I'd figure out the school stuff later and it would just come to me magically. I mean, I'm that kid who slept with a textbook under my pillow thinking that osmosis would just magically bring the facts to me. That's not how it works. (laughs) Um, But it it was hard. And I did start drinking much more heavily in college. So that was definitely a factor. Um, I did smoke, I smoked a lot of weed. I don't think, I have nothing. I have no problem with marijuana. I think it's great for a lot of people. Um, I don't smoke it anymore personally. Um, There are some pretty specific reasons. Um, job wise for both my husband and myself can't really do it, but I think it's, it was my way of self-medicating, but alcohol mm-hmm. definitely became a problem and it was a big problem for me in college.
1: That's a really interesting theory. <laughs> well, no, no, this is a really interesting theory. You were talking about structure, um, because I always thought the reason why I started to struggle in, um, middle school like basically from like fifth and sixth grade and then going into junior high was when my when my grades just kind of went off a cliff. and and so looking at the lives of women and like when women sort of struggle the most, I always thought it was a hormonal thing. I always thought it was sort of a, the hormonal surges of like prepubescence and pubescence and then when you have babies and then again in sort of perimenopause. Which could entirely be. I mean, there's so much interesting new research about estrogen, and I don't have it even started because I'm just like, don't add a whole other weird element into this that I'm not sure I quite understand. There's too many unknowns when you're talking about hormones, so I'm just going to ignore that. But um, I really like the I've thought of, about structure because there's, I mean, it's the same S- same idea and and I think also why there were such a proliferation of ADHD diagnosis during lockdown because so much of our structure was thrown in the air and all the pieces fell all over the place and and you know for me personally like that's when my symptoms really my symptoms like escalated and of course I was misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety during these periods of like I went on Prozac when I was in college and and I went back and on antidepressants after I had babies because I thought I had postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety I mean i, I did, but you know, it was, now I see how it's all related, it all comes back to the sort of initial fundamental diagnosis of ADHD, um, And I think, you know, it was the same thing, like my, why I ended up getting my diagnosis in 2020 was because of lockdown and like, I couldn't do my business anymore and my kids were home and my house was a mess and I just like imploded. (laughs) And I think, so I think a lot of us sort of had that. So is it structure? Is it hormones? Is it both? Who knows? I don't know. But it's a really interesting theory in terms of that jump from elementary to middle school and why so many of us start to struggle.
0: Oh, and I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I was thinking, so I'm writing right now uh, about perfectionism and control um, as well as winning. So I'm writing about like competitiveness and winning and I'm doing a lot of thinking about it and I'm very competitive. I'm extremely competitive. I love to win. I really do. And I think it goes back to school and I never won anything at school. I never won a prize. I was never academically the best. I'm not athletic. I was never athletically gifted. I wasn't musically inclined. I wasn't artistic. It's like I can never win anything. Um, I mean, part of it too, which I think is a whole other topic, is about practice because I couldn't apply myself because I was inconsistent. I could be really good at something and then really bad at another thing. And then the first thing, I'd be bad at it a few months later so. I never really learned how to be consistent. And so I started to win and I'm doing air quotes right now in case you couldn't hear them in my voice. Um, <laughs> things that I could do without trying. I could be the first of my friends to get my driver's license because I was just simply older. I could be the first of my friends to lose my virginity. I could be the first of my friends to try smoking weed and getting drunk and trying cocaine and it's like I found these ridiculous ways that I could win at some or be the best at something because none of my other I could say well none of my other friends did it I did it first I win because I couldn't win at anything else Mm. and it's the same reason still why I'm very competitive with trivia I love playing trivia because you don't actually have to try to win at trivia you just have to Get lucky and hope that the questions are things you happen to know and can recall. That's my
1: biggest issue.
0: Yeah, that's tough. But that's why playing with the team is always good, bounce off each other. Um, But I love it because it's like, it's something I can be good at and win without really trying or practicing. So I think that was definitely something that led me down the path of substance use Mm. and just. Like risky behavior and really trying to be the best at something because academically, athletically, musically, any other interest of mine, I could never be the best in school.
1: That's a really interesting connection with substance abuse, too. Um, Because I've had a similar, and I think why I related to to you so much as well, just like initially, you know, because I started smoking when I was 14. And so I had the uh, smoky addiction for like 30 years, you know, Um, um, even, you know, when I was, I I would like take breaks when I was pregnant or when I was nursing, because I'm like, you know, I'm not an animal, but, (laughs) um, but I would always go back to it, you know, and so it's been really interesting thinking about nicotine and kind of why what it is about nicotine that, you know, why so many people with ADHD are um, addicted to nicotine. That was always interesting. And then also with drinking too, like I, I've never would have considered myself an alcoholic. It's not a term I kind of have ever embraced, but I certainly never had a functional relationship with alcohol ever and have a really, di- had always had a difficult time, like just casually drinking. And so I realized really quickly into the locked, into lockdown that I was like, I, it's uh, my relationship with alcohol is really, really dysfunctional right now. And so I knew that the only way I could deal with it was to just quit cold Turkey. And so I quit in March and, and it was like, i you know, I think that was sort of the first domino in many in terms of just like feeling amazing and, and feeling really great and sort of having a sense of clarity and kind of taking a a lot of things sort of back that felt out of control in my life. And so now I definitely like, well, I never really related to the term alcoholic. I really relate to the term sober, you know, (laughs) where I'm like, I'm very proudly sober and, and plan to stay that way. Um, And, and, so it's been, again, it's been really interesting thinking about like just addiction in general and kind of being like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I did that too. Oh yeah. Okay. This all makes sense. Yes, of course. Um, and, and to feel again, sort of like, oh, okay. That there's like logical explanations for a lot of this stuff. It's not just because I'm a fuck up, (laughs) which was the sort of the default answer for everything. Um, so, uh. Yeah. No, but one thing that was interesting to me, I was interviewing somebody who did not want to go on meds because she has a history of substance abuse in her family. And she just was like, really didn't want to try meds. And so I was very curious because I was like, I had never thought about that before because so many people with ADHD do have a history with addiction on some level. And yet I, it never occurred to me that, that would be an issue with these. I don't know. I feel like I can compartmentalize. I never had, you know, I never, I was able to compartmentalize like antidepressants and all of those sorts of things. So I don't, I I, w- I never worried about like the addictive nature of stimulants, mostly because I don't think stimulants, I don't think stimulants affect us in that way. You know, like I was really worried to go on a stimulant because I thought it was going to feel like cocaine. And, and I was like, I don't need that right now, but it's like, It's the opposite. It's actually quite like, you know, it gives you like calm and clarity in a way that I appreciate.
0: (laughs) Yes. So you bring up some really interesting and really important points. And um, being somebody that has suffered from substance use disorder, as well as ADHD, this is something that's really important to me. It's near and dear to my heart to make sure that people have the right information out there about ADHD, addiction, and medication. Um, and I will say, you know, I get frustrated sometimes, not at the person you interviewed. Um, it makes me think of something where in one of my Facebook groups, somebody posted and they said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in ADHD medication. Um, I was diagnosed a while ago. I'm interested in going back on it. You know, I, I'm just not sure about it. I didn't love it before. How is it different? Cause it had been like 10 years And somebody literally commented, they're like, well, you should be careful because ADHD medication is really addictive. And it, it just frustrated me because people do not get the right information from their doctors, I think a lot, because doctors are not infallible. They don't have all the information. They don't know everything and they don't know everything about addiction. They're not totally knowledgeable about comorbid addiction with other psychiatric or neuropsychological conditions. And I think that ADHD, I know it occurs at very high rates um, with addicts and addicts who are behave, have um, behavioral addictions as well as substance addictions, um, especially with stimulant. Users. Um, I mean, I will be candid. I have tried cocaine. Um, I was never addicted to it, which I do appreciate. Um, But I mean, I've tried it and I tried Adderall in college. I used to take my roommate, used to give me her Adderall because it would actually help me focus. It would help me do my work and study. And it gave me that energy, but not just energy, it gave me focused energy. It allowed me to be a better student sometimes. So I think that because it, ADHD medication in and of itself is not addictive, can people get addicted to it? Yes. Is it likely for somebody with ADHD to become addicted to their medication? Probably not. And taking your ADHD medication every single day doesn't make you an addict, doesn't make you addicted to your medication. You're using it for the right purpose. Now, do people abuse their medication? Yes, I think that does happen. I think there's a difference sometimes between abuse and addiction. I don't think you have to be an addict to abuse your medication. I also don't think that if you're an addict, well, I think if you're an addict, you are typically abusing something, but I don't think it always goes the other way. I don't think that um, abusing something is always addiction. I think abuse can be selling it, giving it away. Um you know, taking it at the wrong times on purpose, using it for a purpose other than its intention. So I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there about ADHD medication. And I also don't think people realize that those non-stimulants are perfectly acceptable, um, especially when you are dealing with ADHD and comorbid substance use disorder. Non-stimulants can be a really good place to start because um, they are typically not abused and by anybody like general population I'm talking they are less likely to be abused because they don't have the same effects as stimulant as instant release stimulant medication
1: I'm guessing they also don't have the stigma of being a controlled substance either, right? Like Correct. I certainly I certainly came upon this when I was using that v- when I was first prescribed Vivance like because it's a controlled substance, like you can only get a month at a time. And I've, you know, interviewed women who were given a really hard time about wanting a stimulant and um you know, also it's an expensive. I mean, I don't I have we have decent insurance I think. I mean we're kind of middle class and and I have insurance and I couldn't believe that I was paying so much out of pocket for this controlled substance. <laughs> and so the whole thing made me just feel like like am I going to be on some sort of criminal database now? Like I don't know. So I'm 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 guessing non-stimulants don't come with that?
0: They don't. Um they're not considered a controlled substance. Yeah. So you're right, they don't have baggage. Um but I think to and I, I mean, I have a whole like long blog post about this. It was like one of my favorite ones to write so far. It was really interesting to research because obviously it's, it's really close to home. It's near and dear to my heart. But I think that there's this a lot of doctors who are treating ADHD and substance use disorder. Well, they will tell their patient, well, you have to be clean before I'll treat your ADHD you have to be clean for like six months, three months, six weeks, two weeks, whatever it is. And they say, you you can't be using or I won't treat your ADHD with medication. And I understand where they're coming from. Um, Part of it is that some substance use disorders, if you have used a substance for a very lengthy period of time, some symptoms of your substance use can actually co-mingle with your ADHD manifestations. So it's hard to it could be hard if you're not sober to pick apart what's your substance use, what's your ADHD. Um, but I think doctors, too, think that if some, they're treating somebody with substance use, they're going to become addicted to their ADHD medication. They're going to abuse their medication. They're going to use it for the wrong purpose. They're going to take it at the wrong time. They're going to do whatever. And I think that's really harmful to addicts who, in most cases, are using whatever substance of choice to self-medicate because they don't know what else to do. There's no avenues for them to turn to. They don't know how to handle all of their inner chaos, which is why so many people with ADHD tend to, um, a lot of addicts who also have ADHD naturally turn towards stimulants like cocaine because in a way it actually helps them organize themselves. So I am very, very lucky that I had a nurse practitioner who said, you know, I want you to get sober. I think that's really important. Um, I think that's a really good journey for you. But let's start you on a non-stimulant because I think that it's just gonna be a little easier for you to manage a non-stimulant if you're gonna continue to drink. Um, Also because alcohol and stimulants do not mix well together. Very, very bad mix between medication and alcohol And non-stimulants and alcohol don't tend to mix as poorly, although I would not recommend drinking while on any kind of psychiatric or neuropsychological medication. Um, But she just, she didn't know if I was gonna get sober or not at that point. So I appreciate that she was willing to treat me though, and that she didn't tell me that I must be sober before I could be treated. I really appreciate that because treating my ADHD, diagnosing me and treating me is the only reason that I'm sober today.
1: I know well, and that's and this is so fascinating. I can't believe it's already uh, this hour has gone by because I'm just like there's so much I want to talk about, and you brought up such interesting issues because, um, you know, I personally have always struggled with the term comorbidity because I feel like so many of my comorbidities I'm looking at as symptoms of of a misdiagnosis. You know, (laughs) I don't think of them as comorbidity. Comorbidity to me that is defined as coexisting conditions. And I don't feel like these are coexisting conditions. I feel like these are direct symptoms from a lack of diagnosis. And so anyway, you bring up so many amazing points. Thank you. I really appreciate yeah, I really I love the voice that you're putting out there in the community. And I I feel um yeah you're doing such a great job. So let's let's talk about where what where your blog is, where people can find you. I didn't even know you were on Instagram. I gotta follow you. Yes. So tell um, all. what are all the details and all the ads and everything else.
0: Okay. Um, so I have a blog, as we've mentioned a few times. Um, so it's about ADHD, mostly. So that is like most of the content, um, a little bit about sobriety, a little bit about mental health and wellness. Um, but seriously, mostly ADHD. So if you're not here for the ADHD content, stay for the sobriety content. Um, It's glitter-brain.com. It's very pink. I love pink. I love things that are like traditionally feminine. I'm really into it, even though ironically I'm sitting here wearing a black sweatshirt. Um, not very. I love
1: your description for why for glitter too. It's it's great too of like why you chose glittery brain.
0: Oh, yes. I mean, I think glitter it's just it's a little bit everywhere and it kind of sinks into everything that you do. but it, it adds a little sparkle and shine and it's not nothing to be afraid of. You just need to learn how to work with it. Uh, I love just it. Just like ADHD. Um, so glitter-brain.com is the blog And then I am on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and on all three platforms, which I am amazed that I was able to make this happen. My handle is the same for all of them. It's at my glittery brain is so I'm just like really proud of that, that it wasn't taken anywhere and
1: I scooped it up as soon as I could. (laughs) Well, thank you again so much. I really, really appreciated chatting with you and, and I hope you will agree to come back soon. And I just love what you're putting out there. So
0: thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. And I am looking forward to our next episode or two. We'll see how it goes.
1: There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and ADHD podcast. Also, As you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at womenandadhd. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast.com at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.